You're back. How long has it been? I told you the story of the woman in the woods. There was fear, and there was grief. But there was also family, connection, joy. The darkness here did not approve. The tendrils of night tightened around me as I slept, squeezing the breath from me until I woke, choking and paralyzed, seeing nothing but the emptiness and hearing nothing but the screaming rage of the dark. Wherever I am, whatever this creature is, joy is not welcome here. And so I dreamed of deeper darkness, of shame, of terror of the one thing you can never escape. Let me... let me tell you. Dark Figments, written and performed by James Farwood. Episode 3, The House at the Crossroads. Get the extended edition of this episode, show notes and bonus content at jamesfarwood.com. There is a crossroad on the far side of town, where Shuck Street meets Bargast Crescent. You'll have passed it many times, perhaps on your daily commute, perhaps when visiting family in times of difficulty, perhaps even when you've just needed time alone and have just wanted to walk. We all pass the crossroads where Shuck Street meets Bargast Crescent. But you won't have seen the house on the corner. Nobody sees the house on the corner. Not because it isn't there. Not because it's invisible, or hidden, or camouflaged. You won't have seen the house on the corner, because you don't believe it exists. Nobody believes the house at the crossroads exists. Not unless they've been inside. There was a man, much like any of us, who had received a great wound. The wounded man passed by the crossroads on a day very similar to this one. The air was cold and the sky stone grey. Darker clouds hung over the town ahead of him, and the chill northeasterly refused to let him stay warm, even through his many thick layers. The man, like the rest of us, hadn't seen the house on the corner. Or rather, he had refused to see it. But today, perhaps because he was walking a little slower, perhaps because he felt he had a little further to go, perhaps just because it was cold and the road ahead was quickly darkening, the wounded man stopped for a moment. Save me. The words reached the man's ears as the slightest whisper, carried from far away on the cold northeasterly. And yet, there seemed something familiar about the voice, something that drew it closer, gave it form, wrapped it in dark wood and brick, and set itself right beside him. The wounded man turned to look at the house on the corner, where Shuck Street met Bargast Crescent. He had seen it before, 
he now realised. In some ways, it had always been there. The dark house in the grey world. And someone was inside now. Someone begging for help. Someone who needed saving. The wounded man stepped through the gate. The front door had frosted glass panels, but the inside was dark and nothing could be seen, moving or otherwise. There was no bell, no knocker, just a handle that should by rights have been on an inside door. The wounded man looked over at the facade. The house had white window frames in its dark brickwork. Whatever was beyond the windows, though, was hidden in shadow. There was no colour. There were no plants. There was only the house. As he closed the door behind him, the wounded man wondered briefly when he'd decided to enter the house. The substantial lock on the inside of the door looked like it should have been on the outside. The hallway was empty. It was narrow and dusty, the warped floorboards barely keeping the man from falling into the blackness that must be below. There was a door in that hallway, and two staircases, one leading up and the other leading down. There seemed to be nothing to choose between the two staircases, so the wounded man went through the door into the heart of the house. The room beyond had once been a dining room, and it left the man feeling cold. A black table ran along the centre of the room, the black remains of a feast strewn carelessly across its surface. Grey chairs were in disarray around the table, as though the occupants had long ago left in a great hurry. White streamers were draped from the light fittings. At one end of the table was placed what was clearly a birthday cake, or at least had been once. Many portions had been cut out of the now rotted sponge, leaving only part of the word happy in black icing on the cracked grey marzipan. Movement caught the wounded man's eye, and he turned to the window. He could not see outside, not clearly. A great fog had descended, blurring the world and draining it of meaning. Indistinct figures moved past the glass, hurrying this way and that. One stopped right outside, one that seemed somehow familiar, a shape from the past, perhaps, or maybe the long-forgotten present. The figure turned, all blurry edges and featureless darkness. The wounded man felt his stomach knot. Don't look inside, was what he thought. Don't look and see me in here. Don't. The figure raised one indistinct arm and rested it on the window, its colourless fingers coming through into focus where they pressed against the glass. The wounded man fled back through the door, back into the hallway with the heavy lock and the staircases. He turned towards the staircase leading down and retreated to the cellar. It was dark down there. There were no windows, only the trickle of light that had followed him down the stairs. But even in that dark, the wounded man knew that there was something in the cellar. 
he stepped forward. His hands stretched out in front of him, trying to find his way. He brushed against shapes in the dark, shapes of wood and shapes of cloth, shapes even of a material he could not identify there in the dark with his hands. It was warm, and his skin came away covered in something that smelled of old ashes, something that crumbled away when he brushed his hands together. Perhaps his eyes were adjusting to the dark, or perhaps the light was leaking further inside, but the wounded man could now see the faintest outline of the shapes in the cellar. They were tall, much taller than himself, standing eight or nine feet high, brushing the stone ceiling. But the one in the middle, that was different. The one in the middle was the height of a table, and a different shape lay on top of it, covered in cloth. Or maybe it was skin. The man could not identify what lay beneath the cover. As he stepped forwards, thinking to touch it, uncover its secrets, nausea rose in his stomach, and he reeled backwards. His mind flashed with images of churning black clouds, slipping and slithering over and between each other like snakes. The thunder shook his heart, and he scrambled away, bashing through the tall shapes in the cellar until he slipped on the slick black floor and fell to his knees. Looking up, looking to see a way out of the blackness, he saw there was a figure standing on the stairs. A figure silhouetted against the doorway above. A figure watching him as he writhed about in the darkness. The figure was already hurrying away. The wounded man slipped again as he pulled himself to his feet, hurrying after the figure that disappeared back up into the light. He mounted the stairs, returning to the hallway with the heavy lock and the staircases. Rapid footsteps came from above, and the man followed up the second stairs to the long landing. The carpet was worn, the pattern of black flowers almost gone from the path down the centre of the room. Large frames lined the walls, heavy wood pulling down the cracked pale plaster. Every painting seemed the same, a smooth, featureless face looking out of the darkness. Even without eyes, the paintings were watching him, watching and not caring. At the far end of the hall, a door closed. The wounded man walked forwards in the flickering light, the ancient floorboards beneath the carpet whining. The first door he passed had a glass panel, through which he could see the dancing lights of an old television set. There were two children, sat cross-legged in front of it, their backs to the door, their heads locked forwards, watching the dancing static on the screen. The man could not see their faces, but they looked so very familiar. Were they... But how could his children be here, in this place? The twins were half a world away now. The man knocked on the glass, but it made no sound. He tried the handle, but the door didn't even rattle against its lock. It was as solid as the wall. 
Through the glass, the man could see another door on the opposite wall. He rushed along the corridor to the next room and pushed his way inside, crossing its empty space and bursting into the next room and the next until he found the other side of the children's room. Looking through the glass panel of that new door, he saw them still sitting watching the television set, still facing away from him, their heads locked to the screen. But the clothes, the hair, the posture, everything about them was so familiar. How were his children here? The wounded man pushed on the door, which swung silently open. He moved towards his children, but as he did so they seemed to stretch and distort in front of him. He stopped dead, then moved to one side. The image of the children twisted again as he moved around them until their shapes on the floor were completely flat. Painted in a deceptive perspective as it looked so real from the door. But the wounded man was certain he'd seen them move and heard them laugh back before he lost them. The television flickered in and out of tuning, its static breaking for brief moments to show a single handwritten word. Daddy? He ran his fingers over the drawings of his children. The paint crumbled away at his touch, and he drew his hand back, afraid to damage them further. In the distance, a door opened. The wounded man looked up, but the rooms and doorways were unfamiliar to him and he could not remember his way back to the corridor, back to the staircase and the hallway with the heavy lock. He went through the closest door into an empty room. Outside the windows, darkness had almost fallen, leaving just a faint glow above the jagged black buildings. At least, that's what the wounded man presumed they were. The fog made everything so very difficult to see. The paintings in this room had been vandalised. Across each one was scrawled the same word, the same accusing question. Daddy? 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 There was light coming from under the door at the far end of the room. Someone was moving around in there. Their shadow flicked across the tiny bar of light beneath the door. As the man moved towards the door, the footsteps beyond stopped. He reached out to touch the handle. The light went out. He pushed the door open and stepped into the next room. It was pitch black. No windows, no glimmer of light, just the dim glow from behind him, casting an almost invisible rectangle on the wall opposite the door. But the wounded man knew immediately that he was not alone in the darkness. Someone was standing ahead, still as death, silent as the void. A match sparked brightly against its box, a small but searing light that burned the eyes of the wounded man and made his muscles tense. His breath dropped away and his heart thumped against his ribs. The match was held to a wick, the candle catching and throwing light across the room. 
A woman stood in the dead centre, staring intently at the wall ahead of her. The wounded man felt his heart skip. He recognised this woman very well, better than he would recognise anyone, even his own reflection. But she couldn't be here, in this house at the crossroads, because she was across the world looking after their twin girls. The man called her name, but she didn't answer. He moved in front of her, but she didn't see him. She just held up her candle and stared at the photographs that were mounted in frames on the walls. There were some old and some new. There were some remembered and some forgotten. There were some that made her smile and some that made her reach her hand up and stroke the images, her eyes wet. The wounded man saw his life revealed in pictures on the walls of that room, and it made him feel sick to his stomach. His wife moved past him, gazing deep into his life, her candle burning brightly, making him shy away, retreating to the darkest corner of the room. He wanted her to stop, but she wouldn't listen to his pleas. Maybe she couldn't hear him at all. She moved around the room, edging towards the wounded man in his dark corner. His heart began to beat faster. He wanted her to stop. Any minute now she would reach the last photograph. The one he wanted to tear from the wall and smash and burn. But when he tried to close his hands around the frame, his fingers slipped through the dark wood as if they were smoke. His wife was staring at the photographs on the wall next to him now. Relentless, careful, thorough. Everything he'd always known her to be. He begged her again to stop. But there was so little left of him for her to hear. She stepped again the terrible light of the candle falling at the edges of the last photograph. The man shouted, and the world ignored him. So he ran. He ran out of the room and through the darkness, finding doorways through sheer luck, not knowing where he was going, but knowing where he needed to be now before it was too late. He ran out onto the long landing, its faceless paintings watching his terror and still not caring. He ran past them and past the stairs and into the room at the end of the house. The room with the door that he couldn't stand to be open. But it was. He rushed inside, into the blinding light that scorched his soul. He squinted to see, but he already knew it was too late. Through the room's only window, he saw his wife standing at another door one miles away in a different life, a door that was open. His wife's eyes were wide, her lips trembling, gazing in on the terrible wound the man had inflicted on them all. He could not hear her through the window, but his heart knew her words all too well. She was asking what he had done. She was screaming it. The wounded man ran from the light of that terrible room. He ran down the stairs, 
into the hallway with the heavy lock. Outside, through the frosted window, he could see them all. His wife stood with their beautiful girls, all dark blurs through the glass. The man walked to the door. He knew how cold it was out there. He knew the dark clouds over the town would soon break into a storm. He reached forwards and turned the key to lock the door. The shadows beyond didn't react. The man turned away. He didn't want to see them as he left. He walked out of the hall, not leaving through any door that he could see, but emerging into the garden of the house at the crossroads. He drew in a deep breath. The sky above sparkled with a hundred thousand stars, spiralling slowly through the dark, untroubled. The garden was small and was boxed in by high walls. A single tree stood in the garden, old and gnarled and wise. This tree is a survivor, the wounded man thought. This tree has seen troubles and yet remains under the untroubled sky. He took off his heavy shoes, peeled off his socks and walked barefoot on the grass. The tree seemed to sing to him in a voice both delicate as the starlight and deep as the earth. It sang of other things, things that weren't here now, things that weren't what he had done. The man reached out to touch the trunk. He felt the aged bark. He felt the throb of life beneath, hidden and safe. People were knocking on the front door. The wounded man let his feet sink into the earth. He let them stretch and spiral down into the nurturing soil, safe from harm, safe from the people outside. He spread into the earth, winding around the roots of the old, wise tree, mingling with them, sharing everything he was in the hope that he would be changed. The wounded tree wondered briefly who was knocking at the front door, but it no longer mattered. Here, under the untroubled stars, in the walled garden, it was safe from the cold and the storm, and the people. Here, there were no more crossroads. I cannot help but feel the similarities between this man and my own situation. That growing fear of discovery. The violent urge to run, to hide in the dark. I've started to wonder whether that's how I got here, wherever here is. But the darkness approved of this man's terror and grief. You can hear now. It's calm. It's distant. Perhaps it's moved on to the others I can hear out there, whispering into the night. But I know any respite is only temporary. Yet, perhaps I can use these moments to unravel whatever it was that brought me here. 
I don't know if I have any real control over the stories that come into my dreams. But maybe a question, planted in my mind before sleep comes, might steer the story towards an answer. Where am I? How can I escape this lightless prison? And I see it approaching in my mind. The sleep comes. I see a man out of time. The wound of a great regret. And something is broken here. Something that drains the light from the eyes of the woman he loved. I cannot stay awake any longer. I shall tell you the story. When I wake. Dark Figments was written and performed by James Farwood. Recorded and produced by Onward Studios. Follow the show and get advert-free extended editions of every episode at jamesfarwood.com. Stay in the loop by following me on social media at jamesfarwood.com social.